This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be hearing from uh, the Apostle Paul uh, in his letter to the Ephesians this morning. Um, I have been... uh, at my own church, where I'm, where I'm the pastor, we've been going through a series on the book of Ephesians. And uh, you guys are getting to reap the highlights of, uh, of the book of Ephesians. Uh, I'm not sharing every single message here. Uh, but t- today, um, I came uh, and I had about three different sermons on my mind wondering which one uh, should, should I preach? Because I've covered about three that are in this section. Actually, one of them will be tonight. Um, but I think probably where we need to land on is here at the beginning of chapter 4 because it is the turning point of the book. Um, the beginning of Ephesians, the, the, the first three chapters is all Paul is telling those Ephesian believers, this is what God has done in Christ Jesus for you. This is who you are based on the gospel, based on what God has done in Christ. And from verse from chapter 4 onward, he's turning the corner and he's saying, because of this call with which he's called you, then this is how you are to live. So there's the doctrinal section in the beginning, and then there's a, what we might call a practical section, although doctrine is practical. Um, there's a, a, a section that focuses more on this is how we are to live on the basis of This is what is true. So as we're at this turning point, I think one thing we should think about is, what is this calling? What is it that has has already preceded this point in the letter? Paul had began the letter in chapter 1 telling believers that that they are saints. He, he, He addressed the letter to saints. If you're a believer in Jesus, He has made you holy. He calls you a saint. And... Uh, It it tells us in in chapter 1 that God predestined us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. One day, if you're a believer, He will one day present you before the Father perfect and blameless. You may feel like, well, my life is a wreck. How could He possibly do that? We look forward to the promises. We look for if you are trusting in Jesus now, one day He's going to get you through a whole lot to get there, but one day He's going to present you before the Father blameless and perfect. He has predestined us to the adoption as sons. He's forgiven us of our sins. He has poured on us the riches of His mercy. All of these things are things that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, He tells us that we were once dead and Jesus, that God has raised us to new life. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. And He has risen us up. He's given us new life. In uh, the later part of chapter 2 and also in chapter 3, Paul talks a lot about racial tensions and how, how um, Jew and Gentile were, were separated at one time. And Gentiles had been uh, uh, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And yet, God has made the two one. 
bringing both Jew and Gentile together, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. So on the basis of all that he's already said in chapters 1 through 3 about what God has done for us in Jesus, now in chapter 4, he turns the corner and says, this is how we live. So I'm going to read the first half of chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended, far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to, to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that you would help us to see and to hear your voice as you speak to us through these pages. Open our hearts that we might understand and trust what you say and that we might be obedient. Lord, we love you. Lord, give me strength to preach your word and give me grace. In Jesus' name, amen. What Paul begins with here is, I therefore, uh, therefore, okay, therefore, he's, he's, he's connecting it to what he's already said in the first chapters. Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. So, Paul here, he's, he's a prisoner, but he's a prisoner of Christ. And he's, he's saying, I've described this calling. I've described who you are and what God has done in calling you to Himself. Therefore, walk worthy of it. This is who you are. Now, live like it, is what Paul is saying. The order there is important. In Christianity... Uh, 
we are saved by grace through faith. He, tell, he tells us that um, in chapter 2. I believe it was. Um, we are saved by grace through faith. We are not, we, it's not that we clean ourselves up, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and become uh, good people so that God will accept us. No. Instead, on the basis of what God has done, on the basis of, of how He has reached down and took dead sinners and brought us to life, because of that, that's how we are to live. If we switch the order, we end up with legalism. I'm trying to perform and be a good person so that God will accept me. And that switches around the order. The order is on the basis of the calling with which we've been called. Therefore, we live like it. He tells us, how, how are we to live like this calling with which we've been called. The first thing he tells us, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility. If the gospel were something, if we became believers by our own goodness, by our own works of, of just pulling ourselves up in our, by our bootstraps, it would be very hard to be humble. But because of the fact that God has saved people who were wretched sinners under the wrath of God who were dead in their trespasses and sins and brought to life, because of that, we should be humble. We look at those who are out in the world who are still lost and still in their sins and we think, man, I could be that. I could be that if it weren't for the grace of Jesus. And that is humbling for us. And, and, and it ought to cause us to, to treat one another with grace and forbearance, being able to, to bear with one another because we, we look at even our brothers and sisters in Christ and we think, well, well I wouldn't do that if I were them. But I, I don't think they should do that that way. Maybe we rub each other the wrong way. But remember, we've been saved by grace. God has been so gracious with us. How can we hold things against one another? And we, able, we are able to bear with one another in love. The thing that Paul, I think, spends the, the, the most of his time here in this passage talking about is beginning in verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What is Paul telling us we're to do? We should be eager to maintain unity. Okay, it's easy when you get a group of sinners together like we all are, like, like we still have that sinful nature, even though we've been saved, we've been brought from death into life, we still have the old man that we have to continue to put off, which is what he talks about in the later part of the chapter. So we sometimes get on each other's nerves. We sometimes rub each other the wrong way. And so it takes work. We've got to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It just doesn't happen by accident. You're not unified by accident. Just by going with the flow. Unity takes work. We're to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now I've got a comment on this passage here. 
The first thing he turns to, this unity aspect, the first thing he turns to when he goes from describing what God has done for believers in Christ to walk like it, to live like it, is he tells us something we have to do in the context of a community. He's not giving an individual command where you just go out and in your life do this. He's saying we have to be connected to a body of believers. If you're not connected to a body of believers, a local body of believers, you can't obey this command. How do you strive for unity in the church if you're not connected to one? If you want to obey Jesus, but if God has done all that for you in Christ, if He's brought you from life into death, then the logical consequence of that is we should, the, the fruit that comes up in our heart is we should want to be connected to other believers. He tells, uh, John tells us, how, how, how do people know us? Uh, Jesus said it. How do people know believers? By our love for one another. It's not just some amorphous love that's not defined, but it's our love for one another as believers. When we meet together, when we love one another, when we serve one another. And here, this command that, he, that, that flows from the fact that God has done all these things for us in Jesus is we are to maintain unity, which is something we can only do. We can only maintain this unity if we actually meet together. If we're actually connected to a local church. Verse 4. The basis of this unity, Paul says the reason why we are to strive for this unity, verse 4 says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were also called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He keeps repeating it over and over and over again. One, 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 one. All of those things are one. And so he tells us as a church, as believers, we need to be one. Unified. He says, there's one body. Now, we might think of the body and blood, the body of Jesus that was broken for us. But I think here he's talking about the church. There's one body. Christ has given His life for the church. He laid down His life for this body of believers. All those who would believe in Him. And though there may be many congregations all over the earth today, we are united in one body. The church universal, you might call it. And one spirit. You know, when the early church was deciding, you know, they, they saw these Gentiles that were beginning to get saved. Uh, they, uh, um, Paul had gone out on his missionary journey to, 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 to modern day Turkey and people, Gentiles were getting saved and they came back and reported and they're like, what should we do? Do, we, do these Gentiles have to be circumcised? This is early controversy in the early church. Then Peter says, well, you know what? They received the same spirit as we did on the day of Pentecost. From that evidence, Peter declares, no, they don't have to be circumcised because they already have the Spirit. And Paul uses the same evidence, both Jew and Gentile, just as he talked about in chapter 2. He broke down the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. On the basis of what God has done, we are to, uh, 
He has given us one spirit. There's not different spirits that, that, uh, have, that different churches have. No, we've, we all have the same spirit, the Holy Spirit. Just as you were also called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Paul has already talked about our hope. In chapter 1, he talks about how our hope that we've been called to is that we will one day stand before the Father perfect and blameless. One of these days, you know, I might be miserable now because I might be struggling with all kinds of sin and all kinds of the things that I struggle with. But one day, one day, God is, Jesus is going to present me before the Father perfect and blameless. And if you're a believer, He's going to do the same for you. That's our hope. And there's one hope. Just one. It's the same one for all of us. There's one hope that belongs to our call. One Lord. He's the boss. Jesus. One faith. There's not any other gospel. Paul said that you know to the Galatians, if anyone presents to you another gospel other than the one that I preached to you, let him be accursed. There's one faith, one baptism. Now here, we got to wrap our minds around this one. You know, we've got some who baptize infants. We've got some who sprinkle. We've got some who dunk three times, right? We've got some who just dunk once. We've got all kinds of things. How can you say, Paul, there's one baptism? Some have tried to get around this by saying, well, this is spiritual baptism. You know, when, when, we, when we first believe in Jesus, we are spiritually baptized when we receive the Holy Spirit. Um, we can go that route. Another way to understand this is all believers have that Trinitarian format. Whether you're dunked or whether you're, you're uh, uh, trine immersion or whether it's sprinkle or whatever. All believers have that Trinitarian formula. We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Also, it's just one identification with Christ and His death. Regardless of how we do it, it's, we, we're understanding we are identifying with Jesus Christ. This is a, a difficult one, I think, to, to, uh, to try to explain. But what Paul tells us, though, is there is one baptism. One God and Father of all. So he's talking about the Lord... One God and Father, so there's the Father, the Son, and, uh, and He's also talked about the Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity that are mentioned there. Who is over all and through all and in all. So, His command, backing up here, His command to us as believers, because of what God has done, not so that we can be accepted by God, but because of what God has done in Christ, He calls us to strive for the unity of the church. And also because there is one God, one Lord, one Savior, all of those things, we should be one as well. He then changes the direction here. He talks about unity, but then he goes and he talks about a little bit of a diversity that's among the body too. He says, verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. He begins to talk about spiritual gifts here. Therefore it says, he quotes an Old Testament passage here from uh, Psalm 68, I believe it is. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. 
Now we might be wondering, just like Paul's readers were wondering, what does that have to do with anything? So Paul explains. Let's look at his explanation. Beginning verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. So Paul is saying, I'm talking about Jesus here. The one who descended, that's God, became man. He was in the heavens with the Father from all eternity. The, the second person of the Trinity. The Word who then became flesh. He, the one who descended also ascended. He, he, he died for our sins. He rose again. And then He has now ascended to the Father where He has become, uh, where He has seated next to the Father. And he, he is our intercessor. He, he intercedes, intercedes for us in our weaknesses. This is who he's talking about. And he says, when he ascended, when Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So when Jesus ascended, what happened? He sent the Holy Spirit. And believers now have those spiritual gifts that he's given Verse 11, he begins to talk about the diversity of these gifts. He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, all of these different servants in the body. Not everybody is an apostle. In fact, I think that's a New Testament office we don't have anymore. Not everyone is an apostle. He also gave prophets. He gave uh, evangelists. Not everybody has that same gift. Some shepherds and teachers. But all of those things, every one of those things, both apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, all of those things, the point he's getting at is they serve the same purpose. That's another way. The diversity serves the unity that we have here. We've got apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers. All of those things are meant to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So what do those offices do? What do do pastors and teachers do? Our job is, according to what Paul is saying here, not to go out and do the ministry, but our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Does that make sense? The, The pastors and teachers teach the congregation... They teach believers so that we might become mature and the whole church can go out and do the work of the ministry by going and visiting orphans and widows, by feeding the, the, the hungry, and by, by serving the sick and the needy and the poor. That's the work of ministry that the whole church goes out and does. And, the, and then, then they come together and they meet. And those pastors and teachers, they then equip the saints for the work of ministry. Teaching. Doctrine, teaching. How, what does it mean to follow Jesus? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Why does the, 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 those pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets and evangelists, why are those people um, equipping the saints for the work of ministry? Well, it's to build up the body of Christ, is what Paul, Paul says. To build up... We, we are... We have all kinds of different talents. 
all kinds of different uh, backgrounds and things like that. And by meeting together and by listening to the preaching of the Word of God and by doing that, we, we are built up and, and we, we are uh, equipped to go out and do ministry. Until. What's the goal here in mind? Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood. What's Paul saying here? How is it that we grow to mature Christians, to be a mature Christian? By, here he says, meeting together, by being unified, and by hearing from these God-called and gifted teachers, he tells us. We meet together. We, we, we are equipped by the preaching of the Word until we become mature. That's the goal. That, that, that we, um, and it says, to the measure of the stature of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. We keep meeting together. When do we end? When are we done? When are we finally mature? When we reach as good as Jesus, right? <laughs> That's, I mean, to the measure of the stature of the knowledge of the Son of God. We just, there's no end in sight until Jesus comes back. Because then, that's whenever He's going to raise us up and, and present us before the Father, perfect and blameless. As long as we live, we still need one another. We still need the body of Christ. We still need to come and meet together. Still need to, to hear the teaching from God's Word to be built up and to become mature. Every one of us. So that, here's the reason, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness and deceitful schemes. There are false teachers out there. There are false teachers out here. He's warning us. If, if we're not meeting together, hearing regularly the preaching of God's Word, then we, might, we are easy prey for the enemy. The, 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 the false teachers who are out there who might proclaim a different gospel. We are vulnerable if we're not connected to a local church striving together for the unity of the faith. Rather, he tells us, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. That can be difficult Sometimes we have things to say that are true, that are painful. Sometimes when we need to sit down across the table from a brother who's, who's wandering away, striving for unity doesn't mean ignoring everything. Striving for unity doesn't mean just go with the flow. No, that's why we have to have teachers. Those teachers who, who teach us true biblical doctrine so we're not uh, prone to, to um, um, fall into the sway of false teachers. And we need to speak the truth in love to one another. We sit down and we have those hard conversations. That doesn't divide us. That actually brings about more unity in Paul's mind. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to Him who is the head, 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So in summary, he begins with what is actually the beginning for the whole rest of the book. Walk like you already are. Like what God has made you. If He's called, predestined you from the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him, if He has broken down the the hostility between, between Jew and Gentile, if He has brought you from death into life, then live like it. That's the first thing that we see. And, the, and in this text that we're looking at today, he tells us, work for unity among the body. Work for unity among the body. And that can be difficult because we all have our different, different um, backgrounds. We all have our different gifts and things like that. But all of those different gifts, whether they're gifts of teaching and things like that, or he says, who's doing the ministry? It's the saints. It's all believers. Whether you're a pastor or a teacher, whether you're just, I don't want to say just, whether you're somebody in the pew, all of us are working together, striving for unity, so that the whole body is built up. So that the whole body is built up, and and we are working forward to being mature and complete in Christ, which is our hope. One of these days, He's going to be here and He's going to present us before the Father, perfect and blameless. On the way there, we are together, living a life together, building one another up, preparing one another for glory.